Hello, and welcome to the Landis Cooperative Experience featuring the bull bear banter. We all know that markets often behave in ways that can't easily be explained. The bull bear banter is our best effort to digest the noise in the marketplace. So thank you for joining us. Sit back, relax, and let's talk about the markets. Hello, this is Tom Guinan, and I want to welcome you to the June 7th episode of the bull bear banter. Today, I'm joined by Ashley Smaby, one of our grain marketing advisors in the northeast part of our territory. Ashley, would you give us a rundown of the grain markets? You bet, Tom. Friday afternoon, corn finished down about a nickel. July futures ended the week at 4.15 and three quarters, and that is down 11 and a quarter for the week. December corn closed at 4.33 and three quarters, down a dime for the week. Soybean futures lost about 12 cents today and just over 20 for the week, with July futures ending at 8.56 and a quarter and November at 8.83. Thanks, Ashley. You know, normally we do a big story of the week at this point, but I'm going to forgo that today and just take a look back at the last four weeks. Four weeks ago was May 10th, and that was the day the USDA released their last monthly crop S&D, or WASDE. So I'm going to go back and read what we put out after that WASDE report. Using the March 29th prospective planting acreage number of 92.8 million acres and 85.4 million harvested, along with 176 bushel per acre yield, U.S. production is estimated at just over 15 billion bushels for the 1920 crop year. This compares with last year at 14.4 billion. The good news is that they are also expecting more feed and ethanol usage for the year, but slightly lower exports. Net-net, 1920 ending stocks are pegged at 2.485 billion bushels versus this year's estimate of 2.095 billion. For soybeans, U.S. numbers are neutral to slightly friendly. Again, using the March 29th acreage estimate of 84.6 million acres and a yield of 49.5 per acre, U.S. production will be down to 4.15 billion versus the 1819 estimate of just over 4.5 billion. They also increased U.S. crush slightly and moved exports up to 1.950 billion from 1.775. All this shakes out to about a 970 million bushels in ending stocks, which is down slightly from the 1819 estimate of 995 million. However, the world S&D is also still burdensome, growing from an 1819 estimate of 99 million metric tons in in stocks to to 113 million metric tons. At the end of that day, corn was down about a penny and beans were about two and a half to three lower. So from that point up to today, corn futures have gained more than 60 cents and beans are up more than 50. And those are after the losses you mentioned earlier. So all in all, from a cash price standpoint, we've made up a lot of ground, as we already knew, but I just thought it'd be good to quantify that. So let's move on to some bull bear factors and let's start with corn and you'll take the bullish side. All right, Tom, so for bullish news, corn planting progress gets the top of the spot again this week with only 67% of the expected acres planted as of Sunday. That means that close to 30 million acres were not planted to start this week. Illinois at 45%, Indiana at 31%, and South Dakota at 44% continue to weigh on progress. We are hearing sporadic reports of quite a few acres being planted east of here, but we'll have to see what Monday's report says. From a new crop pricing perspective, it is definitely favoring planting corn. We look at the soybean to corn ratio a lot during this time of the year, and while it's typically anywhere from 2.3 to 2.5, it's currently just above 2.0. For those that haven't heard on this before or want to know how to calculate it, just take the November soybean futures and divide the December corn futures. Tonight that means $8.83 divided by $4.33 and three quarters, which is a 2.035 ratio. 
So for those folks trying to decide whether to plant corn or beans, planting corn would be the winner today as long as that person makes a new crop sale. The other piece of the news that is potentially bullish for corn prices is the announcement by USDA Secretary Sonny Perdue regarding the potential for market facilitation payments for prevent plant acres. When these were initially announced for this year, he said that prevent plant acres would not be eligible. Last week he said that they might, and we'll know more in late July. Today it feels like he is saying they will be eligible, but the message is somewhat confusing, so we'll wait for a little bit more clarity on this subject. On the bear side of things, there's really no good news from the export front this week. After cancellations, the actual number of sales was a negative 8.7 metric tons, with an anticipated number somewhere between 550,000 and just over a million metric tons, it's somewhat amazing that Thursday's close wasn't on the negative side. At one point, corn was down about seven, but rallied into the close, finishing about six higher. The thoughts here is that if we had a higher percentage of acres planted earlier in this week, this report would have had more pressure on the prices. It feels like traders are just going to stay in a mode of prove it to me about the 2019 crop until we get the vast majority of it planted and start to see some good to excellent ratings later this month. The next factor to consider from a bearish perspective is the current fund position. For corn, about a month ago, this was estimated at around 300,000 contracts short, or about 1.5 billion bushels short. Today, that is estimated to be right near even, neither long nor short. With a recent price action, if we were to see some significant increase in planted corn acres, my thinking is that the funds might want to jump back into that short position and push prices lower. So Tom, moving into soybeans, bullish factors include the main driver for soybeans continues to be the lack of planting progress across the U.S. In Monday's report, we saw an estimate of 39% versus a five-year average of 79%. Illinois at 21%, Indiana at 17%, and South Dakota at 14%. Iowa is also lagging the five-year average of 89%, but being at 41% puts us way ahead of the curve. Other than that, there's not too much to be bullish about. For the bearish factors, we're going to continue to hold out that index stocks number as the number one bearish factor. Next week, we will see an updated WASDE report. The early range of estimates is $920 million to almost $1.1 billion. This is versus the latest USDA number of 995 million and last year's 438 million. For the 1920 crop, the expected range is pretty wide from about 850 million to more than 1.3 billion. The last USDA number was 970 million. So getting some updated numbers on that will give us a little bit of direction for soybean prices. A big part of this increase in the ending stocks as we know is the ongoing trade disputes with China, but more importantly, the African swine fever epidemic in China. Speaking of that, at the end of this podcast, we will have a bonus interview featuring Mark Cullen. Mark is our Chief Animal Nutrition Officer, and he will be discussing ASF and what it means to the U.S. farmer. So stick around. So why does all this matter? With the setback this week, we've seen a lot of people trying to figure out how much old crop they have left to sell. Some farmers are liquidating all their corn and waiting a little bit more on beans. Some are holding back a little corn to see what the next few weeks bring. Either way, as always, we want to encourage you to have a marketing plan for your grain. Whether that is selling to stop storage charges or looking for opportunities to finish up pricing farm stored corn, let us know what you're considering, maybe leave an offer, and let the market do its work. With the better forecast and several good days ahead, don't get too distracted and miss a good pricing point if you have one in mind. 
We're also hearing of quite a few old crop beans to be marketed. We'd like to help you there too. We've had a few customers use the bonus premium lately to add 20 to 30 cents to the price of their bean sales. Let us know if you'd like more information on that. Just reach out to your area grain marketing advisor. So what to watch for and what's some of the upcoming events? As mentioned, stay tuned for an interview with Mark Cullen at the end of this part of the podcast. He's got a lot of info about China, ASF, and the U.S. soybean and livestock producer. Last, but certainly not least, with these warmer temps and clearer skies, we expect that many of you will be very busy in the fields this week and this weekend. Whether you're wrapping up or starting to spray or whatever you're doing out in the field, we're just going to continue to encourage you to stay safe. Keep an eye on each other and make sure you end the day in the same physical shape you started the day. This is something that we stress highly at Landis, that people should be safe when they work, and we just want to pass that along to you folks. So moving on to the tweet of the week. We noticed this one earlier in the week. Initially, I thought, why is the Iowa State football coach talking about corn? But then I remembered another Matt Campbell that works for INTL FC Stone in Des Moines. So Ashley, why don't you read us that tweet? You bet. So the tweet says, according to my Twitter feed, corn has somehow become immune to economics. Demand is not affected by price. Welcome to 2019. I guess sometimes we have to go back to the basics of Econ 101. Thanks, Matt. In conclusion, we appreciate you joining us for the Bull Bear Banter as part of the Landis Cooperative Experience podcast. As we like to say, bears make money, bulls make money, and pigs just go to market. We look forward to your comments and questions. Just drop us an email at podcast at landiscooperative.com. And if you have any questions regarding grain marketing decisions, please reach out to your area grain marketing advisor. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Hi, this is Tom, and I'm joined today by Mark Cullen, who is the Chief Animal Nutrition Officer for Landis Cooperative. Welcome, Mark. Hello, Tom. And we're going to talk a little bit about African swine fever, so I'll just kind of prep this a little bit, Mark. Just give us a real basic overview. What is ASF? Well, African swine fever is a very uh, highly virulent disease. Things to remember about African swine fever versus other swine diseases like PDV that we know, it's a 100% mortality rate. When it is occurs in places like China or other areas, uh, they call the entire herd. Wow. And then, you know, just, just from my perspective, I know that, that herd in China is huge, but help put that in perspective for our listeners. You know, we think of the U.S. as having a large swine herd. How do you put that in perspective for China with relationship to the U.S. herd? China has 47% of the, the world swine population. The U.S., I believe, has about uh, 11 to 13% of the world swine populations, with Europe having the other major portion of that. So China today would have somewhere between 400 and 450 million hogs. So they, they are the dominant player in the world swine Right, sure. And from what you've been hearing, and I know, you know, trying to get good, reliable information out of China is kind of tough, but what are you hearing that uh, as of today that means to their herd? You know, how much destruction have we seen to this point? So African swine fever in China has been difficult to get, uh, as you said, Tom, uh, reliable numbers. Uh, estimates are anywhere from 30 to 50 percent of their herd has been culled. Wow. Okay. So at 30%, that's one and a half times the size of the U.S. herd. If they're only at 30%. Yes. 
Um, so pretty destructive. And I guess my you know perspective is how do I put that into context if I'm a U.S. soybean or corn farmer? You know, what does that mean to me? What does that mean to the demand for soybeans in particular? Definitely, uh, it's going to have an effect on soybean usage throughout the world. Every third bushel of soybeans is consumed by swine. So as you start thinking about it, you eliminate 200 plus million head of swine in China alone, plus you start adding Vietnam, some of the other areas that have been hit, uh, you're eliminating 25% of the world hog population. So there's going to be a consumption decline from a swine perspective. We also have to remember though, as swine consumption uh, decreases, other protein markets will increase and try to take over that demand. So you might see a growth in poultry, you might see a growth in aquaculture. So U.S. soybean demand, I think will, our world soybean demand, I think will be affected. Uh, Short term, long term, uh, that protein will be replaced by others, something else, if not swine. Yeah, and that was going to be one of the questions I was going to ask is, so, you know, we've all talked about the Chinese economy growing and the, particularly the younger people in China loving the taste of meat, getting more used to the taste of meat. So if they're not eating pork, which is their number one protein source, I'm guessing, they're going to, you think, switch more to other proteins? Yeah, I've had the good fortune to travel to China uh, and experience it firsthand as far as what what they're eating. Uh, They eat a lot of different protein sources. As you said, pork's a primary protein source. Uh, They'll switch, I think, some of their needs short-term to poultry and to uh, fish in particular mm-hmm. and other um, they may uh, decide to eat more vegetables along with uh, the African swine fever the tariffs are a challenge so the thing we also have to remember about China is it's a fresh pork market so what that means is if they are um, slaughtering pork today they're usually eating it, that animal tomorrow or shortly thereafter where US is a frozen you know, we, we put stuff in fr- in storage, freeze it. China would have to change how they eat pork. And if how- they were going to import it from the U.S. in a bigger way? Yes. Okay. So I think that's important for U.S. pork producers to understand also. Okay. And then, um, you know, beyond just the, the row crop farmer, um, how does that impact and how do you put in, you know, you started talking about that a little bit, but how do you put that into perspective for the Iowa pork industry, what are they doing to keep it out, first of all, and how does that potentially impact their economics and maybe their, you know, profitability? Well, I think from African swine fever perspective, we have never had a confirmed case in the U.S. or actually in the Western Hemisphere. So I think it's difficult to, you know, there's been some estimates, the Iowa Pork Producers Association, if it would hit the U.S., what would it do? They think it would have an $8 billion effect on U.S. pork, uh, $3 billion on the corn industry, $1.5 billion on the soybean industry. And then, strangely enough, they think it'll have a 2 to $3 billion effect on the beef industry just because of the association of meat proteins in the U.S. Oh, wow. So I, I keep thinking back to the avian uh, flu we had, what, four years ago here. Kind of devastating to those uh, poultry guys, whether it's chickens for eggs or chicken for meat or turkey. And particularly in the state of Iowa, that really hurt those folks. But this is, 
that would dwarf. I mean, this would just make that just seem like a blip, right? Yeah, and avian flu. The one thing to remember about avian flu is Iowa did a very good job, and actually the Midwest of controlling it. African swine fever would be a different beast. And from this perspective, avian flu, we de- depopulated uh, the birds' houses, disinfected, repopulated those houses, and we went on. In China and some other areas, they've depopulated, you know, culled the herd with African swine fever, disinfected, give it some time to sit, repopulated. The herds have broke again. Hmm. So it is a very, very virulent disease, tough to control. It is safe to eat pork from uh, from African swine fever after it's been slaughtered. So it's it's not a threat to humans as far as transferring to humans. So. And then um, you and I talked earlier about just foot and mouth disease. You know, how do you how do you think about that in terms of African swine fever? Does that give us any kind of a roadmap for the U.S. or anything we should think about there? So foot and mouth disease is far more devastating to the livestock industry because it affects all species but foot and mouth disease has been around in the world for over 90 years and never been in the U.S. so I I think that's important to understand how diligent U.S. farmers are uh, Canadian producers in controlling infectious diseases we are probably far more prepared to control infectious diseases than any place else in the world except for maybe Europe Europe would have some of the same protocols as we do. Well, that's good to know. So um, I think my last question is just, you know, where do we go from here? If if one of the listeners wants to find some more information, is there a a really good source on the Internet that they could look at or somewhere they could go to find some more info? Well, National Pork Board is a good source. Uh, Iowa Soybean Association is a great source. any of those type places or, or National Grains Council, everybody has information uh, related to it. Or you can definitely contact uh, myself, Ron Hollenbeck, or any of our uh, animal nutrition team and ask questions, and we can help get you answers. Sure. Okay. Well, I appreciate your time. Um, you know, like we've talked about in the past on this podcast, we're trying to make this more than just a recap of the grain industry. So I appreciate your time coming in and talking a little bit about ASF and helping our listeners know how that's going to work and maybe the potential impact down the road to them. So thanks. Thank you. Thank you.